invite you to take a Bible and turn uh, to Exodus chapter 20, where we have the Ten Commandments. It's on page 61 in these Bibles in the pews, Exodus 20. Uh, Labor Day is a day set aside for special recognition of the working person, celebrated on the first Monday in September in the U.S. and in Canada, but on May 1st in many other countries. Uh, Sometimes I uh, preach a Labor Day-related sermon typically on some of what the Bible says about work, but today I wanted to preach about rest, and that's because as a pastor, people I talk to seem to be more exhausted than they uh, do uh, struggling with working hard. Uh, so we come to Exodus chapter 20, and we earlier in the service we, we read a, uh, an abbreviated uh, form of the, the Ten Commandments, but I'd like to read the fourth commandment, which is chapter 20, verses 8 and following. So hear God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask now with the psalmist that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. What is rest, uh, why you need it, and how to get it? When he was 27 years old, John Calvin wrote The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And if you have a copy of that, it's normally, you can, it's been reprinted and printed, and you can get it on Kindle uh, very inexpensively. But if you buy the printed copy, it's usually four, uh, two books, but it's, it's two volumes, but there are four books inside of those two volumes. And book one is entitled, The Knowledge of God, the Creator. And the opening chapter of that book is, The Knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. The knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. And he says, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And John Calvin goes on to say that without knowing ourselves, we really cannot know God, and without knowing God, we cannot know ourselves. Because if you do not know God, then you cannot know why you were made, who made you, why you exist, what your purpose is, and where you are going. If you do not know yourself, how you are wired, how you experience pain and sorrow and joy and delight and so forth, you will not know the good things of God. So knowing ourselves prods us to know God. That's what he was saying. Knowing ourselves is not being narcissistic or self-centered or, or totally focused on ourselves, but basically to know who we are and what we are like. And God says you are a body and a soul. Or as theologians put it, a body-soul. That's what you are. You're not just a body, and you're not just a soul. You are a body and soul united in one person. 
Now, your body is extremely complex. It is composed of millions of atoms, and 90% of those atoms are replaced every year. You, as a human, are a complex mix of physical mixtures, materials, and forces. Electricity, chemical, plumbing, gases, pumps, siphons, lubrication, buttons, switches, receptors, and more. The human body is very complex. Your soul is more complex than your body. But we only have basic data about the soul, and we can't study it with empirical research. Although the Bible gives us some basic information about the soul, such as it will live forever, much about the soul remains a mystery in this life. So when you unite a complex body and a complex soul into one person, you get multiple complexities. So if you ever say, I really can't figure out myself, join the club, because we are very complex beings. And the health of the body, here's the point I'm trying to make, the health of the body and the health of the soul are interconnected. And you cannot ignore one or abuse one and it not affect the other. You can't mistreat your body and it not affect your soul. You can't neglect your soul and it not affect your body. You say, where are you going with this, Chip? We're going to the fourth commandment and part of the rationale for why God gave us this commandment. God is concerned about your body and your soul. Not just one, but both. The text of Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, is pretty simple, and it focuses around some key words. One key word is Sabbath, a Hebrew term that just means to rest or to cease. And so when it says a Sabbath day, it means a day of rest, a day of ceasing. The word remember at the very beginning assumes we are prone to forget. So we have to be told, remember. And the last word I want to mention is the word holy, to keep the Sabbath day holy. Basically, that means to set it apart. For something to be holy, it's set apart from what's normal. It's different, to make it different. God's, God is saying here, I want you to take one day, one day out of seven, and I want you to set it apart to do something different from what you do on the other days. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the history of the Sabbath through the Bible. And it's like a seed. In the beginning of Genesis, it's like a seed is put in the ground and then it grows. And it gets bigger and bigger, like a plant that's growing. So let me go back to the beginning, and that is in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. They tell us, Genesis 1 does, that on the first day, God called forth light, and he separated the light from the darkness. On the second day, God created the vast expanse of the sky called the heavens. On the third day, he created the dry land to appear, and he covered it with vegetation. On the fourth day, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the fifth and sixth days, he filled the earth with animals. And then finally, he created man, leading up to the most complex part of creation. So what Genesis tells us is during six distinct periods of time, God moved from the most basic elements of creation to the most phenomenally complex. And then what happened? Well, Genesis chapter 2 tells us, By the seventh day, 
God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, why did God rest? The Bible tells us God does not sleep nor slumber. He does not grow weary. So why would he need to rest? His resting, he's using himself as an example for us. He's announcing to all creation that after six days, after six days of labor, enough is enough and rest is necessary. And he builds this principle into the creation itself, that there is more to life than labor. And we often need to be reminded of that. Okay, so there's the seed planted at the beginning in Genesis. And it grows now, and when we come to the nation of Israel with the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and when they're repeated and explained in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we, come to, we go from creation Sabbath to the covenant Sabbath. It was unique to the Jewish nation. Deuteronomy 5 tells us when it gives the fourth commandment, or when, when Moses is explaining more the fourth commandment, they were to observe the Sabbath as a sign of their rest from bondage in Egypt from the years of slavery there. It was to be a day of joy. It was to be a day of of worshiping God, a day of remembering their deliverance from Egypt, how God had delivered them. So the seed now has grown from from the creation Sabbath to the covenant Sabbath that was unique to the nation of Israel, that by law they were to do these things. Then we keep moving and we come to the period between the close of of Malachi and the Old Testament in the beginning of the New, that was 400 years between these two pages. And we refer to that as the intertestamental period. Now, during the intertestamental period, two schools of thought arose among the Jews. Are y'all still with me? Okay. I, it really does have some personal application. Just, just sit tight. All right. So there was the Hellenistic school of thought, which means Greek, the Greek thought that it influenced the Jews, and they just spiritualized the Sabbath. Oh, just, you know, re, you know just kind of, it, it didn't have any uh, legal binding. But the Palestinian, the Palestinian Jewish leaders, they went to the other extreme. And it's kind of like if one is good, then ten will be better. They took the covenant Sabbath that was unique to, to Israel, and they counted the words in the command. There were 39 words in it. And they said, for each word, we're coming up with 39 regulations. So they came up with 1,000, if you do the the math, it's 1,521 regulations about the Sabbath. Can you imagine? 1,521. Here's an example, and I'm not being facetious. A woman was was not to look into a mirror on the Sabbath day because if she did, she may see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it. And that was a violation of the Sabbath, I guess under some rule about harvesting. But in they, it was, that's the kind of legalistic minutia that happened between the, close, um, I get back, between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of New during that 400-year period. That is the context into which Jesus came. So do you see now why the, the, the religious leaders got so mad when he healed on the Sabbath day? And they were always watching the disciples and picking the heads of grain. You're violating the Sabbath. How can you claim to be from God if you're breaking his law? And what did Jesus say? The Sabbath is not, is, is, 
It's burned in my memory. I'll never forget it. The Sabbath is, is not for, for man. man. The Sabbath is created for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he meant is for our benefit. They had turned it, they had turned it on its head and make it, made it a legalistic burden to everyone. Now, what is the, the Christian Sabbath? Um, we see this from the example of the early church. And this is where today I, I think we need to give attention. Today, I think most people just have, most church-going people have no comprehension of what was called in history the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath. We see the early Christians gathering on the first day of the week rather than the seventh. The Jewish Sabbath was what we call Saturday. Obviously, we are gathered today on the first day of the week, on Sunday. So what changed? Now, I want to explain this because this has been a key issue in church history, believe it or not. And especially in certain countries where Seventh-day Adventists took the position that we should still worship on the seventh day of the week. Some of you have friends here in Macon that aren't Seventh-day Adventists. They're more Messianic congregations who will say, we're supposed to worship on the seventh day of the week. Why has that changed? And some will say, well, it's because of Emperor Constantine. Constantine, back 300 years after Christ, legalized and, and made changed it from the seventh day to the first day. And they would say Constantine did it. Is there any truth to that? No. Uh, here's why I'm so emphatic. Constantine had nothing to change. The Romans had no Sabbath at all. There was no idea that you worked six days and then you rested one day. What Constantine did was to declare to be a legal holiday that day on which the Christians were already meeting. And that was the first day of the week. Now, let me contrast these. On the seventh day, the Jews remember the creation of the heaven and the earth. We, as Christians, celebrate the first day of the week, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth brought about by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Christ rose on the first day of the week. He appeared to the women on the first day of the week. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus on the first day. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the first day of the week. Christians assembled on the first day of the week. Sermons were preached on the first day of the week. The Lord's Supper and collections were taken up on the first day of the week. John saw Christ in the book of Revelation on the first day of the week. So it wasn't Constantine who changed it. It was already changed. He just legalized it. So we read the church fathers like Barnabas, who in 120 A.D. wrote, they, speaking of the Christians, kept the eighth day with joyfulness, being the first day. Justin Martyr in 150 A.D. said, Sunday is the day on which we all hold our communion assembly because Jesus Christ, our Savior, on this same day arose from the dead. And then in A.D. 200, Tertullian wrote, we solemnize the day after Saturday in contradiction to those who name that day their Sabbath, namely the Jews. So the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is to be a day of rest and worship and ministry. It's to be a day to be replenished. So that's why we have the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, today, to refocus our priorities, to refresh our bodies and souls and rekindle our desire with God. We are allowed this opportunity to refresh our relationship with Him. I have a friend 
who doesn't live in Macon, but when he was a teenager, his father died very suddenly. And he told me, um, as we built our friendship, he told me that some of the fondest memories he has is that when he was a youngster, like in elementary school, now teachers, you're going to grimace at what I'm getting ready to say, but he would be in class and he would, the teacher would say, so-and-so need you to go to the office. And he'd go to the office and his father would be there. And his father, who was an extremely busy man, said, I've got a few hours, let's go do something. What would you like to do? And he would take him out of school and go fishing or hunting or just to spend time together. Now, do you think, sorry teachers, but do you think that that young man went, oh, dad, we were just getting ready to learn some new mathematical tables and you're pulling me out to go have fun with you? That's kind of what the Lord's Day is. God is saying, I want you to stop. I want you to stop and I want you to refocus your relationship with me. And I want to spend time with you. So how do we do that? I think there are three guiding principles. Rest, worship, and ministry. It's easy to understand. If we seek to fill this day up with rest and worship and ministry, then I think we can not err like the Pharisees did and yet get the spirit of what we're supposed to do. First, rest. These are not in order of importance by any means. But we rest from the work that we do on the other six days. We rest from our normal labor. Your body needs physical rest. Remember, body, soul. And God made you to where you need rest. You need nightly rest with sleep, but you also need a weekly ceasing from your normal work. Lots of studies continue to be done about sleep deprivation. And chronic sleep deprivation, it's not even arguing anymore that it causes an increase, can cause an increased risk of infection, stroke, cancer, high blood pressure, heart disease. Do you know that just two nights, two nights of greatly reduced sleep lead to more than a 20% reduction in attention span, in reaction times, in strength stamina, and in accuracy and speed? Top athletes know it. Some of you are watching the U.S. Open and seeing Roger Federer, who's probably going to go down as the greatest tennis player in history, at least up to this point. You know how much sleep Roger Federer gets a night? 11 to 12 hours. LeBron James, great basketball player, 12 hours. And athletes like that will tell you that sleep is just as important as diet and exercise for them. Well, God made, I'm not saying everybody needs 12 hours of sleep. I'm just saying that some people that are dependent on it recognize it. And to deprive yourself of the sleep you need, however many hours that is, if you're doing it thinking God's pleased with me doing this, I'm, I'm showing how busy I am, you need to rethink that. And so sometimes an unwillingness to cease to rest one day a week is saying, you know, I have so much important work to do. I am so important. I am holding up the world. What will God do if I stop? And maybe God wants to show you, I will do exactly what I'll always do when you stop. So I want you to stop for your benefit. You need emotional rest, not only physical, but emotional. The passage in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus' ministry is flourishing and all these people are crowding in, in Mark 6, it says, There were so many people coming and going, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go off by ourselves 
where we will be alone and you can rest for a while. I mean, there's ministry going on. People's souls are in the balance. We're talking about eternal matters. If there's ever a time that's work nonstop, it's then. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? We need to go off. We need to separate from the crowd for a while. And you need to rest. You need to withdraw. You need to recharge. You need to replenish. You need spiritual rest. The great invitation in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's not talking there about sleeping or physical rest. He's talking about spiritual rest from trying to earn God's favor through our own efforts. He's saying, I will give you a rest that you can't get anywhere else. That's, so the first focus that I want to mention is rest. Second is worship. The example of the early church, they gathered on the first day of the week. They call it the assembly, the ecclesia, the when you come together, as Corinthians says. He, he meant formally, when you come together on the first day of the week. And what did they do? Well, they had the Lord's Supper. They gave offerings. They heard reading and preaching from the scriptures. There were prayers and things that went on regularly there. This was a high priority, and they were urged, don't forsake it. Now, there are always providential hindrances when, for one reason or another, we can't be there. Uh, I, I was laid up from knee surgery back a couple of months, few months ago, and I was home on a Sunday morning. I couldn't sit. I definitely couldn't sit here. And so I was thinking, boy, this would be a great day. I wish we had streaming for our services. And, and so I ended up, we don't, and, and I watched uh, Second Presbyterian in Memphis. In fact, I sent a picture to the pastor there. My leg probably, I said, look what I'm looking at right now. And I sent that to George Robertson and I, him on the big screen preaching. But there are times, but, but those are, should be the minority of the times. Our regular practice should be worship, worship the Lord. And that's what the church did. Revelation 14 says, fear God and give him glory and worship him. John 4, the Father seeks worshipers. And we should prepare for worship heart preparation, to read and to pray and meditate on his word, physical preparation, get enough sleep, prepare food and clothes, whatever it is that helps you prepare so that you're not in, uh, discombobulated by the time you walk in here. And then evaluate. Here's what I would urge you to do. Before the night's over, look back at the day today and say, did I worship well? Did I rest? Yeah, this is not easy. I mean, it takes, a, it takes a lot of effort to rest. It takes a lot of effort to worship well. And don't just blame me because a sermon was hit or miss or whatever. No, I mean, do you think about what's being said? Are you, are, is your mind engaged and your heart engaged as we sing and as we pray? And uh, we all know what, how distracting we the past or the future or our plans or something gets on our mind at the, at the worst possible time, but seek to worship well. Third, ministry. Rest, worship, and then ministry. And we hear and talk of deeds of necessity and deeds of mercy on the Lord's Day. There's certain things that are just necessary that need to go on. Some of you have types of work that, that can't stop or that you work an occasional shift in the, in the medical field or or in law enforcement, or the fire department, or utility work, or things like that. Randy Pope, who was here recently and preached, they have a Saturday night service and at Perimeter in Atlanta, and they've done it for like 15 years. But what started it was so many of their members 
work in transportation with the airlines. And, other, and Saturday night was the time because they were going to be flying the next day. And, the, and that worked out well for them. I don't think that many of us here, here work for the airlines uh, that, that that's necessary. But that was the intent behind it. So rest, worship, and ministry. Deeds of necessity and deeds of mercy. When Jesus healed the, the crippled man or the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, or when the disciples were hungry and picked grain and they got accused by the Pharisees of breaking the Sabbath, and, and Jesus defended them, that was a merciful thing. They were hungry. And he referred back to when David and his men were hungry and they went into the temple or they went into the tabernacle and they used, they used the grain that was there. Uh, or to help a person who's got their ox in a ditch and to help them out. He's saying that's the spirit of the Sabbath, not, not you know, whether it's, whether it's right or wrong to exert this energy to get this out. It's help for the person. One of our elders who passed away years ago, and I missed so much, it was very normal on Sunday afternoons about 2.30 he would call our house. And he always had a little ruse. He'd say, Chip, I was wondering... Is so-and-so still in the nursing home? And I say, yeah, I think so. Okay, what time are you going to pick me up, I would say to him. And he'd say, okay. And he'd pick me up and we'd go visit some of our members in the nursing home. And he prodded, I needed that prodding. But he would do that. And I greatly appreciate it. Let's use this afternoon for ministry. That's just one example. It could be a thousand different things. So rest, worship, and ministry. So when you, if a person asks, and this is typically where the conversation goes, well, is it okay to go to a Braves game on a Sunday? Is it okay to, to uh, go to the lake on a Sunday? Or so? here's, my, here's what I would say to you as a pastor. Look, seek to organize that day around rest, worship, and ministry. If you focus on those things, then you make the call rather than me trying to come up with another list to say this is legit and this is not, you, if you just think about rest, worship, and ministry, I think a lot of those particulars take care of themselves. Because you'll find that, you know, if I do that, I'm going to be distracted all day. Or I'm, I'm going to be in a terrible mood because of the traffic. Or, you know, that'll cause me to miss church, and then I won't get to worship. So you decide. But I, you start with those guiding principles, rest, worship, and ministry. Most of us don't even think about it. You know, this is, this is ignored pretty much in, in evangelical churches today. Or we know that, well, I should be at worship, but the idea beyond that, it just stops. This is for our benefit, and we are harming ourselves. We are harming ourselves at our own demise, I think, spiritually by neglecting it. Now, let me close with a personal testimony. And this has influenced the way I view the Lord's Day. Uh, my memories as a youngster about Sundays are bad. In our house, and, and I, don't, I don't mean anything dishonoring toward my parents, and they were God worked miraculous changes in them and me over the years. But when I was in like 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, those were, some of the, those were the worst years of my life and other people's lives too. And what would happen is my father went to church Christmas and Easter. My mother was a very committed Christian and was angry because she was going to church by herself. She would come home. He would be in front of the television. Alcoholism was at play. 
and there would be arguments and tension, and I was in the middle of it, and being at that age, I could be a smart aleck like crazy, and I had plenty of blame, but it was a day of tension. I dreaded Sundays. I would be forced to go to church with my mother. I'd get home, I'd eat, and then I would leave. I couldn't drive, so I'd, I'd put on my old clothes, I'd get my twenty-two rifle, and I'd go up into the woods that went forever in our North Alabama neighborhood up, and I'd be by myself where there were cliffs and caves, and I would spend the afternoon like that and get back home about dark because I did not want to be in the house. Now, who's to blame? I don't know. I don't know, but it was, it was just not a good memory. In high school, my senior year in high school, I began walking with Christ. And I had two older friends, Randy Pope that I mentioned earlier, here, who preached here a few weeks ago, and John Musselman, who has also ministered in our congregation. And they were older, and they said, Chip, why don't you come after church? We're going to go out to this lake. We're going to go canoeing, and we're going to take our Bibles, and we'd, we'd sit out there and talk about the Lord. And they tried to focus that day. I noticed they didn't study on Sundays. They were excellent students. They just said, no, we want to make this rest, worship, and ministry. And then at that time, we would go back to Sunday night church. I had never seen that. I'd never even heard of that. So that was my first exposure to these principles of rest, worship, and ministry and the Lord's Day being replenishing rather than tension and just what you could or could not do. You know, don't mow the grass on Sunday. Don't, don't do this. And at, at that time in history, the stores were closed too. Well, the issue before then was I didn't know God. Who wants to spend time with a stranger and one you can't see on top of that? I didn't. There was no one to spend time with. Barbara and I get married, and her view of rest, my view was taking a nap between Sunday morning church and Sunday evening church at, at Spanish River in Boca Raton, where we were. I was on staff there when uh, we got married. Barb's view of rest was jogging five miles. Go figure. So I saw that there's different ways you rest. For her, that was extremely relaxing. For me, I might have killed me. It would have put me in the hospital, I think. But she, we had to begin to work with, okay, what's restful for you? How do you like to relax? And her idea was different than mine. So there was the beginning of a million different changes that had to occur in this husband from that, that point on. But then we tried to have people over to eat. We said, well, let's try and use Sunday and have, Barbara was a dietitian, nutrition major in college, knows how to prepare food for groups down to the portion. And so we, we had people over to eat and that just kind of became, that was not something that either of us came from, our families didn't do that, but it was just a way for us to kind of have ministry. Then we'd go back to church. Then kids came along. And so with young children, we said, okay, how are we going to try and use Sundays? We were here at this church. There was Sunday morning worship. There was Sunday night. We would finish with Sunday morning. We would go home, and when the weather was such, we would try to go like out to Lake Juliet or had this little boat, and we'd ride around, or we'd go somewhere in the winter. And we tried to build positive memories for the kids on that day. Then we'd go back to church at night, especially if I was preaching. <laughs> we were back down here in this room at uh, uh, at, at night uh, on Sundays. And then as the kids get older, teenagers, that's when it's very difficult. Everybody's going in about 50 different directions. 
My, my point is this is not easy. It is not simple. It sounds simple, rest, worship, and ministry. If you're not married, if you're single, I would say try to build these habits now because it won't get easier if you get married, if you have children, so forth. I'm ending. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've got 60 seconds. Here's how I'm ending. I'm going to slam the brakes and just crash this car right into the wall. God intended this day for your benefit, to refresh you, to refocus your priorities, to rekindle your love for him. Obviously, you must have a relationship for, with Christ for any of this to be meaningful. And that was his invitation in Matthew 11. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. What kind of rest? It's spiritual rest. Romans 5.8, well-known verse says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray together. Our Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. We put emphasis on the body, on how we appear externally or what we can or cannot do. You put more emphasis on the soul, though you care for our bodies. They are not eternal, and our souls are. So we pray that we would put emphasis on both and help us with this whole idea of using a day for rest, worship, and ministry. This is truly is countercultural, and the culture's uh, not moving any direction toward it. I pray you'd help us to worship well, to be more intentional about that, and rest and ministry. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.